Our sermon scripture today is on the Old Testament, Genesis 12, 1-9. The call of Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred of your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curses you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Aram. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all of the sessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired around. And they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. And when they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Sechem, to the oak of Morak. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country of the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west, and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed by, on by stages toward the dead. We have been working through a series called Breaking the Shadows. About having courage to walk with God wherever you are afraid. Whatever there is still fear that you have let God's light shine into. And so when we started this series, we talked about uh, Gideon and his, his invitation uh, to serve God. And so we looked at this kind of example of how to face your fears. And then we are moving from that into specific types of fears. So uh, last week was about the fear of pain or harm. And it was about the story of Ananias being called to go heal someone who had, who had wanted to harm him. And this week, we moved to the fear about losing control. And I think we all, however much we reflect on the fact that we do this, but we all really like having control and get a little bit scared when things don't go the way that we plan, the way that we envision them, the way that we want them. And I think about like, I don't know about you, but for me, like, the first time I go to a restaurant is the first real freedom to actually pick something on the menu. Because if it goes well, when I go back, every time after that, I have to decide, am I going to pick something new that I don't know how good it's going to be? Or do I pick that safe choice that I know I'm going to like? Because I can control that sin and I feel like I know what's coming, or do I venture into the different part of the menu? And it's a little bit tough to venture out the thing that you don't know how to and I, I think about with this time of year, maybe you watch uh, on Fox lately, you got the World Series on. Sports seems to be like the place where we most feel like we have control of something we have absolutely no control over. There is all sorts of weird sports superstitions. Uh, if your team was winning, like whatever our, the Michigan fans are miss, whatever you were wearing last night or another day in the game, you have to wear that next or, or can you just venture out? Do you have to eat the same thing? We, we get really strange. And 
especially in baseball, you see them kind of do their little things before they bat. They do the exact same thing every single appearance. You just, I don't know what little adjustment is going to throw off my day, and I'm not going to have control over the situation that I want control. Um, but like, you have the sportscasters even, they're afraid of saying things like, oh, the fans are going to hate me if I say this. So uh, I turned on the basketball game last night, and James Harden apparently went 14 to 14 from the free throw line in the first game. Like, well, you know, he hasn't missed a free throw yet this season. Clank. Like, oh, they're going to blame you for that, aren't they? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have mentioned it. Or you watch a baseball game, and the pitcher hasn't given up a hit six or seven innings in, and nobody wants to talk about it. Don't jinx them. Don't mention it. Even though we have absolutely no control over what's happening, but we like to project that I have a little measure of control over what's going to happen in this scenario. And so we all play the part like we have control over whatever's going, going on. And so in today's story, we walk with someone that, this is one of those classic stories. It's one of those stories that most people, often people who have no religious background still know a little bit about the story of Abraham. Um, just somehow it's in the water. But here's the story of somebody who has a lot of control over their life and is asked to give that up. And that's a hard calling. Uh, there's a lot of trust and a lot of faith in this calling. So I'm going to talk about Abraham. Now, you're going to hear me switch names because that's just going to happen. In our story, the English way of saying Abram or Abram, like the Hebrew way of saying it, uh, he's going to eventually take on the name Abraham. We might interchange those names, but in our story, the story of Abram, uh, he starts out with a lot of control in this society. He's a man to patriarchal world. He's got access and opportunities that Sarah and Hagar and other people in the story that we'll see later don't have given to him. He's got some power that, that is given to him through the society. He's got a lot of money, a lot of possessions, which Sounds better before you start traveling later. Start going to take him on your move with you. But he's got a lot of money that provides him a lot of opportunities. Uh, we don't have time to get into the fact that, yes, slavery is a part of that cultural world at that time. And so in our reading, it talked about he had acquired many people. That's a lot of control and power that those people in the other part of that story didn't have. Uh, and at the beginning of the story, he's got the control and power of his hometown, which is actually kind of a new hometown. Uh, in that region, you can call it different names, uh, it's, kind of, it's sometimes called the Fertile Crescent, it's sometimes called Mesopotamia, you got different kinds of language. But basically, in the middle of a lot of desert and wilderness, you've got some rivers. And that means life, food, it's not just the humans that want to drink from that water, animals want to drink from the water. So you've got food and water and safety and security along those routes. And so they become heavily trafficked trade routes. And the story in Genesis 11 began that Abram's father took them from Ur in Babylon. The Chaldeans, fancy word that your Bible might say for them. Took them from Ur and traveled along the Fertile Crescent up to Haran. And they settled in Haran. And so he's got this family support network. He's got everybody there. Things are pretty easy for Abram, other than one thing. He doesn't have a child. And in that 
in that culture, especially when you're reading that early parts of the Old Testament, you deal with, uh, you live forever, you live everlasting because your bloodline continues. You have kids, and they're living, and they have kids, and they're living. And so that's why it seems like uh, extreme punishment when you get these ugly, violent stories where they say they were supposed to kill the men, women, and children, animals, that everything gets cut off and there's no more memory of these people. Um, so control about having your, your children, living through them, uh, is important. And that's the one thing that Abram is missing in the story that it points out uh, at the end of chapter 11. And so that's who we walk with in this text. When Abram gets an invitation, one word, go, that's not always an easy word, just from the get-go. I like my status quo. I like my stability. Why do I have to go? It's already a hard invitation. Go, Abram. And he says what he's going from, which is a good reminder. You don't just go from one life situation to the next, but you have to leave some things behind to go to that new moment. Go from your land, from your family, from your father's house. Now, that's dangerous because the, uh, the like, political and like, police situation in that world is a little bit different than our current day. Leave the protection of your family network, leave the you know, community that provides, leave the food and support that that might provide, leave this land that you know, leave all of that behind and go. And that's tough. And it gets harder, because I don't know about you, but I love an itinerary. How many people in the room love like the pros and cons list before they do something? They want the map, they want the destination. In today's world, you've got the GPS coordinates. Google's giving an exact route, and then I'll ask you, I'll give you a little bit of control on route A, B, or C. But Abram, go to the land I will tell you about. You don't get to know yet. And that makes that a whole lot harder because uh, it might feel like, you know, if you, as you're learning to swim and you're falling only along the edge of the pool, and it's like, no, leave that behind, and you actually just have to go into the unknown and take that first step, that first swim out from the ledge. Go, I will show you, but you're not going to know yet. I need you to learn how to trust. Because it's not, you don't have to trust as much in your life when you feel like you have control. You're like, I know how, how to get things done. I've got the money, I've got the influence, I've got the reputation. People will listen to me. But as soon as I walk away from that kind of thing and that kind of stuff, i got to start trusting that the world is going, not going to harm me, that there's actually a future and opportunity ahead. And so Abram gets that invitation. And there's a temptation in that invitation. How God's going to show me something. Oh, isn't this going to be great? What do I get out of this? Alright, if I'm going to trust you, if I'm going to leave all this, I need to hear. How's this going to benefit me? And there is some of that, but it's couched in very particular language. God says, yes, I'm going to make your name great. You're going to have this great nation who comes from you, which when you have no kids, that sounds a little strange. 
I'm going to have a KPI. What do you mean I'm going to have this big nation of people from me? Uh, all of the stuff uh, that you're going to have. But the main point is you are going to be a blessing to all people. That people who come in contact with you, if they bless you, they'll be blessed. If they curse you, they'll be cursed. But ultimately, I want you to leave. I want you to learn how to trust me. I want you to have faith. Because I want to bless everybody. Which again, if you're trying to learn about how to give up control, that's not easy. Wait, why can't I just take all the blessings myself? Sounds like a better invite, right? But no, I, I want you to give up control so I can bless everybody. And that's the invitation Abram receives. And it's not easy. And I love that our Bible doesn't make it seem easy. Because yeah, okay, he gets up and leaves. But he's relearning his faith throughout the story. And we have to go through that process ourselves. We're not finished products. Even when you've said yes to God, you still have some learning to do, some, some trusting to work on. And so Abram's going to learn a lot about trust. So we're going to talk big picture Abram here. Yeah, he's going to have to learn how to trust on the go in his travels. Um, because God takes him through this place and says, hey, guess what, Abram? Here's a little bit of tidbit for you. Your kids someday are going to love living here. Wonderful. This is my spot. If my kids are going to be here, well, that might mean that my grandkids are going to be here. I'm going to stay here. This sounds like the perfect spot to be. It's like, no, no, no. You still got to move. But just trust me, one day your kids are going to love this spot. So yeah, we got more to go. We got, we got more places to And I just left my parents' place. And I find my kids' place. I can't be either. I gotta find my own place. He's gotta keep going. And the audacity of the text to say, traveling to the Negev. She's traveling to the wilderness. You're leaving all this great water behind, and he's going into the desert. God, I sure hope you have a spot for me. I gotta travel to the desert. That doesn't sound like the tropical paradise I was hoping for. And so he's learning to have faith about where he's going to go. He's going to have to learn how to have faith and trust and not control those around him. We've never had problems with that, have we? Oh no. Uh, someone comes in uh, dressed differently than maybe that you might want, or, or that hairstyle or color of hair, or uh, they're dating somebody maybe you don't necessarily approve of. We have plenty of scenarios in which we can have a lot of feedback. That's not just, hey, just in case you wanted to know feedback, but it's trying to control feedback. And Abram has to deal with the fact that he's got a little bit of fear in his life. And so when they go through the Negev and they get to Egypt, and he's like, hey, feels pretty happy about himself. My wife's pretty attractive. But maybe that's a problem for me. Maybe these people who have more power than me are going to want to take her. And they're going to try to exert control. And so I have to act like we're not related because that's the best way to save my own skin. Doesn't seem like he's necessarily as concerned about Sarah there. But uh, hey, Sarah, act like you're my sister. She goes along with it. Again, how much control does she have in the situation? 
But we have this story in which Abram is supposed to be a blessing to those around him. And if people treat him well, they get blessed. If they treat him poorly, they get cursed. And he is misleading the Egyptians, and then the story, suddenly they start having plagues, all this bad stuff's going on. I think, what's going on here? Like, wait, Abram, why would you do that to us? Why didn't you just tell us you were married? What's going on? He's got to learn how to trust other people in his life. And he can't control his wife and the other people around him. He's got to work on that. Um, he's got to work on his family dynamics. Him and Lot have a little bit of stuff. And when you got too many things on that journey, like, okay, well, you, you take some of the stuff and go one direction, I'll go another way. And they got to work through their things together. And then, maybe most famously, when they're like, okay, God's going to make me a big nation. I'm going to have kids. I don't see that happening. What do I need to do to make that happen? Sarah actually has a plan in this scenario uh, that doesn't go in the way that she expected it to go. But you have a service. I use gentler language. You have a slave. You have someone who has no decision for themselves. Take her. Have a kid through her. Let's make our own path to having this nation, this, these kids, this family. And that doesn't go the way they expect. And then it's this whole control game again of, I don't like seeing her around and that kid around. And maybe you got to kick them out and push them away and all of this mess because they couldn't just trust God who initially said, I'm going to make you like a big nation. So they got to work through their own family dynamics. But again, that mattered a whole lot to them about having a kid. And so... The stories would go on and control about altars and offerings and sacrifices. And in the text that we read, when God says, hey, I'm going to make, you know, this is going to be a place for your kids. Abram's response, I'm going to make a sacrifice here. I'm going to make an altar. Now, an altar is kind of like a great barbecue pit in the ancient world. You cook your food there. Special food. This is a special occasion. There's a few kinds of offerings where it's just fully burned up. You let it just burn everything to a crisp. And in that ancient context, they thought that that was how you fed the gods in a lot of cultures. That you would offer them food and they would eat it. Uh, the Bible tends to leave it at that the aroma is pleasing. And you know that feeling. You've ever walked in your neighborhood and smelled somebody else grilling out? Ooh. Who's having a party? Um, that, that, that God at least was pleased by the smell of the sacrifice. But in that ancient world, that sacrificial system was one of control. How do I know that I'm going to get what I need in my life? Well, i got to figure out the right formula of sacrifices so that gods are okay with me to give me more blessings. So um, you could have just said, maybe I should sacrifice as many things as possible because I can never know how much the gods need from me and I'm going to live in fear about that. Um, in the, the, the biblical text, there's all of these kind of limitations on it. Hey, just one offering. And okay, if you're really wealthy and you got a lot of money, you can do the big animal. But guess what? If you have a little bit less money, smaller animal, smaller animal, bird, okay, bring an offering. But we, we think about our offerings as maybe I control God. So, you know, do I build an altar and an offering for God thinking this is a gift? Or do I want to manipulate the gods? manipulate the one God 
blessing? Or am I giving it as a gift freely? And so that gets us to our big story of Abram when he gets invited uh, to sacrifice his son, which again, bigger story than we can deal with here. But it's meant to ask, do you really trust me about you're going to have a child and have a nation? Is this child more important to you than me? And can I actually be willing to, to give that up? Now he learns in that story that God will die. And so when, when his son walks with him and says, what are we going to offer at this altar? And he says, the Lord will provide. He is learning to trust God. That I don't have to have all the itinerary and logistics already mapped out. I can walk to this mountain, this altar, knowing that God's going to provide a new way, and I just got to trust on that journey. But that's not where he started at. He didn't start already being able to trust fully on that journey, but he learned it the more he walked with God. And so, when we look at our own lives, how much have we learned on that? You know, if you've never said an initial yes to that go, it's like being on that end of the pool. I don't know what it's going to be like to wake out from that. And it can be scary, it can be dark and shadowy, but can you trust to let go? Not to just bless yourself, but to be a part of the blessing of all people. But it's not just about leaving that wall the first time. It's about learning how to swim. Learning how to swim with God, not knowing where you're going, just to trust God. And so, when you think about your own life, uh, how much of us, how many of you also, spend that night before something important happens, and you go through a thousand different variations of what might happen? You're playing out all the scenarios in your head, trying to figure out, okay, if I say this, how might that work? Say that, how would that turn out? If I do this or that, and we end up in an anxiety attack because we can't figure out all of the variables. And it ends up being fruitless because you show up the next day and you've thought about this, and it does not go anyway like you expected. And all that fear, those shadows was just just like your shadows. There wasn't anything physical there. It was just, it wasn't quite real. But can you trust God? Say, you know what, I'm going to go on this journey, I'm going to go on this path. You know, God's going to show me a way. And so in our families, you give up a little bit of control, a little bit of trust to each other, and be a, a voice of wisdom without being a voice of control. A voice that isn't always a voice, but sometimes it's a listening ear. Can we be giving up our control in our workplaces and our churches and our kind of communal context? Why do we, uh, you know, let our gifts, you think about you give a gift to somebody and like they don't do what you want with it. Maybe you gave a gift to somebody and they re-gifted it. Does that hurt? It's like it's a gift. You gave up control, right? They're free to do with it whatever they want. Yeah, we still want to control. And think about the invitation to go for our 
easy to have a status quo, to not do anything, sit comfortably in our family setting with all of our things. But God invites us to go without a full itinerary. Where will we go together? Sometimes our going isn't always together. But the, the God who is the God of all is with both of us on that journey. I think about all the things that God invites us to in everyday life. Um, I, I'm hopeful today. I have no idea. You, know, you never know why the patterns. Looks good now. Hey, I think this is a great thing coming up on our doorstep again. When our city wants to show up and enjoy each other's presence and each other's company, maybe, maybe we should go out there. Maybe we should be at our doorstep. I don't know who's coming. I don't know if this is going to be an amazing day or not. I'm just going to trust that God has put us in this spot for a reason. And at this moment, Maybe things happen in our walls. Maybe we go out of our walls. But I just going to trust that God is, is going to be there. And I don't know what God is inviting you to. That's the great thing. Is, like we saw last week, God was having a prayer time with two people at the same time. We all have our own invitations to go. And so I hope that in this moment, in the rest of the service, the rest of the day, you might contemplate what is something that God is asking me to let go of? I'll leave you from somewhere. But what is God also calling me to? Where is God calling me to something new, to something exciting that I think might be a little scary to? It seems a little dangerous at first. But what is God calling you to? And sometimes we complicate things too much, but that's really it. An invitation to go to the place where I will show you. Do you trust God to do that? Where is God inviting you to go? And so, uh, like Abram, he got a new name, a new identity, he became a new person. Father Abram, what is our new identity? God has called us from something and he's calling us to something. So I, my prayer for us is that we would have the faith to step out, to release control of things, Walk with God wherever that might be. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, Lord, we confess that there are times in our life where it's true for all of us, it's true for me, where you have called, called us to something and we've been afraid. Maybe we've said no. Maybe we've ran the other direction. Lord, we ask your forgiveness where you intended blessings for all, where we were unable to say yes. Lord, I know that for myself and others in this room, we've also said yes to you. And we have gone when you asked us to go. And Lord, I ask that you would remind us of those moments where you said yes to go with you. Remind us of, of your faithfulness. And encourage us to inspire us to live bravely with faith in you, not needing the certainty of the map, but trusting in your presence to be enough. Lord, let our, let our music, let our silence, let our conversations with one another be one of, of gifts, of blessing, not of control. 
So they're named 